man, we're in a new series. I'm excited. Are you guys excited about being in a new series? I'm always excited when we start something new. And uh, man, I have enjoyed the last eight weeks, but I am pumped about being in a brand new series today. Um, I am really excited. The series is entitled Evidence. Evidence. And it comes from the question on the video. We'll see that video each week as we do our study uh, to introduce our sermons. So we're excited about that as well. But it comes from that question, if you were to be put on trial for being a follower of Jesus, would there be enough evidence to convict you? That's a convicting question. Uh, It's not a bad question. It's a good question to ask. It's a good thing to ask yourself. We're going to be in this series for the next few weeks. I've not put a time restraint on it. We're going to let the series take us as it would like to. And so I'm not going to put a time restraint on it. This past Friday, I was, uh, had the privilege and honor to go on my third grade daughter's field trip as a chaperone. As you can imagine, I was ecstatic. Um, but, uh, but she's the cutest little thing. And actually, her teacher texted me on Wednesday and goes, Avery really thinks that you're going to come Friday. Are you going to be able to be there? I'm like, Miss Hughes, seriously? Like, why you got to do that to me? Uh, but, um, but I went, and the way they had it set up was the chaperones were in charge of their child and then one or two others, and we went to the Museum of Natural Sciences over in Raleigh. It was a great time. So the little girl that was with us, uh, Avery's little friend from school, uh, different, during, during different parts of the um, museum, there would be people there with hands-on learning, and they would uh, teach something, and you could ask questions and interact with the people that worked there, and they would show you maybe a little experiment or something. And these people were kind of placed throughout the museum. And we went to a couple of them, and after I believe it was the second or third uh, one that we went to, the lady, the, the lady was really kind and very helpful and showed Avery and her friend a lot of the stuff that was going on, and it was just a, had a, a great time for her. And Avery's little friend looks at the lady when she, gets, when she got done with her presentation, and she goes, thank you for the opportunity to learn. <laughs> I was like, what? It's a third grader. But I'll be honest with you, I thought it was cute. I thought it was pretty awesome. But later on that day, I thought, you know, I want to come every day before the Lord and before his word, just saying, thank you for another opportunity to learn. Can I make that our prayer this morning as we start a brand new series? God, thank you for the opportunity to learn. Thank you for the opportunity to hear transformational truths. And by the way, these aren't just academic truths. This is not just for our head knowledge. This is for our feet. This is for our hands. But thank you, God, for the opportunity to learn your word. Can we pray together this morning? Heavenly Father, we come with that exact prayer of thanksgiving. Thanking you for the opportunity that you've given us yet again this Sunday to be before your word to hear your word preached, to hear your word sung, and to learn from your word. Holy words, supernatural words. Thank you for the opportunity to learn this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. 
Amen. Amen. The book of James. What an important book for us to go through. What an important study for us as believers and followers of Jesus to study it, to comprehend it, and then to allow this book to make legitimate change in our lives. This is a perfect follow-up to the series on identity that we spent the last eight weeks unpacking. And by the way, if you weren't there last Sunday in Hillsboro uh, at Vertical Church where we met last week, by the way, you guys are an awesome church. Like, just anyway, just show up wherever we have church, and it's pretty incredible. Good to be back here today. Uh, but Pastor Dustin did a great job closing out the series for us on identity. But as we will remind you often through this book, the works that James will command us to do, because that's what this book is a lot about, can only truly be accomplished through living in the Spirit and allowing the righteousness of God to flow through us as followers and image bearers of Jesus. Simply put, we cannot perform the works that we will get into over the next few weeks unless our identity is wrapped properly in Jesus and Jesus alone. If our identity is going to be wrapped in the good works we're about to learn about, then you will not do those good works very long. If your identity is going to be in checking yes on the yes boxes and no on the no boxes of your spiritual life, then you will not do that but for so long. But if we understand what we've preached about for the last eight weeks, I believe we can come to this book, the book of James, with a healthy mindset, with a biblical mindset of now that we understand who we are in Christ. Now that we understand that our identity is wrapped in him, now what are the things that we ought to do? How does that flesh itself out? What is the evidence of someone who truly has Christ at the center of their identity? The overall theme, I would say for the first few months of 2020, has been for our church, who you are determines what you do. Who you are determines what you do. Let me say it this way. Who you are in Christ determines what Christ does through you. This book of James will answer the age-old question of Christianity, and that question is, which is more important, being or doing? What is more important, who I am or what I do? And that's a valid question. By the way, do you have your uh, journals? If you didn't get a journal this morning and you told me you wanted one, we got more coming. They'll be here tomorrow, Tuesday. They'll be here next Sunday. Use these journals. By the way, this is an ESV journal. We don't get hung up on Bible versions here. I'm going to be using the ESV through this series in the, while we're in James uh, for you to make it match up and make it easier for you there. Sorry about that. I was going to say that at the very beginning. But what is more important, being or doing? I believe the book of James will bring us to the answer that they're both important. They're both important. In fact, I would even say that they are possibly equally as important. Because who we are 
will impact and will make a dent and will, and will formulate and will push us to what we are supposed to do. Another way of asking that question is the question you saw in the video. If you were put on trial for being a follower of Jesus, would there be enough evidence to convict you? That's a sober, a sobering question. That's a difficult question to answer. Would there be enough evidence to convict you? Before we jump into James and the first verse of the first chapter, let's find out who this man James happened to be. There are actually uh, four different people, mainly in the New Testament, who bore the name of James that could possibly have been the author of this book. Um, this is just a little bit history lesson for you, but I think it's good for us to know. <clears throat> the first one is James, the son of Zebedee, the brother of John. This was one of Jesus' disciples. And if you know uh, a member of the Sons of Thunder, um, they called them uh, as the disciples there. And he was martyred, killed by King Herod, uh, just 44 years after uh, Christ. Could have been James, the son of Zebedee. It could have been James, the son of Alphaeus, another one of the disciples, possibly the brother of Matthew, the disciple. We don't know anything else really about him. James, the father of Judas, a third one. Not the father of Judas Iscariot, but another New Testament name, a man named Judas, by the way. If you were not Judas Iscariot, Judas was kind of a rough name to have, I'm assuming, back in that day. It's like, sorry, I'm not that Judas, right? The fourth one, and you'll grasp here quickly why we believe this is to be the true author, the James, the brother of our Lord. Uh, seems to be the most likely to be the author due to Mark chapter 6, verse 3. It identifies this James as the brother of Jesus, as this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us, so, so they were offended at him. Uh, it is interesting to note that this James and Jesus' other siblings did not come to faith in Christ during his earthly ministry. John chapter 7, verses 1 and 5 says this, After these things Jesus walked in Galilee, for he did not want to walk in Judea, because the Jews sought to kill him. Verse 5 says, for even his brothers, Jesus' brothers, did not believe in him. So during Jesus' earthly ministry, even his brothers, James included, did not believe in him. However, we see that they were present in the upper room praying with the disciples in Acts chapter 1. Verse 13, when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying Peter, James, John, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. There's where you get Judas the son of James. These all continue with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. According to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, James more than likely and ideally came to faith in Christ due to Jesus appearing to him after his resurrection. We'll read this text together. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3. 
should be on the screen for you. For I delivered to you, first of all, not you don't have to read it out loud, I'm sorry. Uh, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Pretty incredible that Jesus' own flesh and blood brother and sisters, brothers and sisters, did not come to faith in, in Jesus himself until he was ready to ascend back to heaven. I don't know what it would be like to be raised as Jesus' brother. I've often thought, I'm my only child, so I would really be messed up. But those of you that aren't only children and you were raised with brothers and sisters, imagine your brother being Jesus. Mom gets home. She's been out doing whatever. She comes home. The vase is broken. And the question goes, who did it? And Jesus is your brother. There's no, there's no getting away. It's report card time at school and you're praying that your parents didn't get the email from the school and the text from the teacher and the second email from the school and the second text from the teacher that report cards are home. And you're like, come home and dad's like, anything happened at school today? Jesus, we got report cards. <laughs> and can you imagine? I can imagine that growing up as a sibling of Jesus would not be the easiest thing at, at all. I can imagine if anybody would have a slight against him, it could possibly be his flesh and blood brothers and sisters. I would assume, I mean, Jesus at 12 years old uh, kind of made his mother a little mad when he left and went to the temple against, with her not knowing. I, I'm assuming a perfect young child could possibly get on his brothers and sisters' nerves just a tad. And so Jesus' brother, James, and his other brothers and sisters, not coming to faith until later. The author of this book of James, uh, theologians are about 99.9% .9 in agreement that this was James, the brother of our Lord Jesus, who wrote this book. I want us to notice something this morning about this James, the brother of Jesus. I want us to look in the first verse of the first chapter of this book. Scripture says this, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see it? Did you catch it? Before James was the brother of Jesus, before James was the leader of the church of Jerusalem, which he was, before James moderated an important meeting with Paul and Barnabas in Jerusalem, before all of that, before the extremely important aspects of James's life, James says, I'm a bondservant of God 
and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm a slave, that word bondservant, I'm a slave of Christ. Talk about someone who has a solid grasp and understanding about his identity. James nails it right on the head. Talk about someone who understands who he truly is. He's not the brother of Jesus. He's not the pastor of the church at Jerusalem. He's not the overseeing elder to Paul and Barnabas' theological debate. I'm a servant of Jesus. I'm a bondservant of Jesus. This morning, lest this pastor think too highly of himself, and lest I lead out with, I'm the pastor of, no, first of all, I'm a servant too. I'm a servant too. I am a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, this, is, this actually speaks to our identity series directly on the head. Everything that James is about to say in this book, it comes from the foundation of the very first phrase in the very first verse of the very first chapter. That James is not wrapped up in all of what everybody else says he is. James is not wrapped up in being the popular pastor of the church at Jerusalem. Think of that. He's not wrapped up in being, in being, oh, Jesus was your brother? Shut up, dude. Tell me about that. He was not wrapped up in all of that. No, James humbly introduces himself to us. James, a slave to Christ. A bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't rest in his accomplishments. He didn't rest in his family. He didn't rest in his popularity. He rested this morning in the fact that he was a servant of Jesus Christ. And this is vitally important, as I mentioned, because this will serve as the beginning of James writing a lot of scripture about what we ought to do. But before James pens anything about what we are to do, he makes sure that we understand who we are or who we are supposed to be. A bondservant of our Lord. And can I say this this morning? Maybe a quote you can write down. There is no higher calling in the life of a follower of Jesus than that of serving. You never get any higher on the, on the spiritual totem pole. There is no higher rung to climb on the spiritual ladder than serving. There is no higher rung. You say, well, you're the pastor and that's your title of this church. There is no higher rung on the spiritual ladder than serving. Listen, some of us hold leadership positions in various aspects of our ministry. And while there are leaders and there's order in our church, there is this thing about leadership. You know what it's called? It's called servant 
leadership. Servant leadership. And I will say from the top down that there should be nothing that's asked of anybody in this church that the leadership either has not done, is not doing, or would not do if physically able and capable. For instance, I cannot lead the children's class because I'm physically present right here on Sunday mornings. So I can't do that. However, would I do that? That's the question. Would I do that? And my servant spirit and mentality and my identity wrapped in being a servant of Jesus Christ will come out and whether that answer is yes or that answer is no. And by the way, if I'm ever your pastor and not willing to do those things, will somebody be friends enough and man enough and spiritual enough to say, hey man, let's have a conversation. Will somebody be spiritual enough to say, hey man, you're asking a lot out of a lot of other people that it doesn't seem like you're willing to do yourself. Will people be friends enough with me and be real enough with me? Because I want to lead, I want to lead as a servant. Listen, James, man, lead that church at Jerusalem, man, amazing, as a servant. Hey, James, uh, be an elder over over a theological debate as a servant. Hey, James, you can be the brother of Jesus as a servant, as a servant. I would say this, if you're too good to be a servant of Jesus, then maybe we ought to take me back. Restore to me the joy. Remind me once again, if we're too good to serve. James wrote this letter to Messianic Jews, Christian Jews who were scattered throughout the known region of the Roman Empire. Being Jews, these people would be rejected by the Gentiles in whose land they lived. And being Christians, these Messianic Jews would be rejected by the traditional religious followers of the Jewish faith. By the way, make sure you have a good understanding on nationalistic Jew and religious Jew. While a lot of them are one and the same, there is a major, major difference. Make sure you always understand that when, even in current society, but especially as you study scripture. No wonder James speaks of most of these believers as the poor, seeing that they were more than likely persecuted no matter where they were. If they were among the Gentiles, they were persecuted for being Jews. If they were around the religious Jews, they were persecuted for being Messianic Jews or being believers in Jesus. So James, James was dealing with people here that were on all sides being persecuted. Notice the remainder of James chapter 1 and verse 1. A servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. Greetings, he says. These are to the Jews that have been dispersed. Remember, as we study scripture, we ought to always know who is writing. We've studied that. Who is doing the writing? And who are they writing it to? So this is James, the brother of Jesus, the pastor of the church of Jerusalem, ultimately the servant of Jesus Christ, who is writing this to other Jews who have been displaced. Okay, they've been displaced. So that is who's writing it and who he is writing to. This book, though, can, I believe, be directly applied to us today. 
seeing that James wrote it to the believers, he actually addressed them as brothers and brethren throughout a huge portion of this letter. He talks about his brothers in Christ, the brethren, and I believe we as believers can take the book of James and we can insert our name in that book often as James is going to give us instruction. So we've laid the foundation this morning of who is writing this letter and who this letter is being written to and those are important things. But for the remainder of today's sermon, and this is going to be uh, a very to the point, I simply want to give us some thoughts on how we can get the most out of our study in the book of James. How we can get the most out of our study. Number one, we must genuinely be born again. We must genuinely be born again. For you see, this book is written to believers. And in order to fully grasp this book, you must be born again. In order to fully understand what James is trying to communicate, you must be born again. Remember, we spoke of James's conversion. We know it happened sometime between the cross and the upper room during those days uh, as Jesus was resurrected and showed himself to several different people. We know James at some point during that time had a genuine salvation experience take place in his life. One of the themes that we will obviously highlight throughout this entire book will be the theme of spiritual maturity, perfection, being made perfect, more mature in Christ. Well, can I just say you cannot become more mature in Christ if you are not yet in Christ. Kind of basic here this morning, but I hope it rings true in our lives. If you were in this room this morning and you have never been born again, that means the old you crucified, the new you raised to life, as we've spoken about over the last few weeks. If you've never had a genuine salvation experience, then I plead with you today, make today the day that you believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. For you cannot understand this book unless you have truly been born again. You say, well, you don't understand. I've been in church my whole life. I and ask you about church. Well, you don't understand. I mean, this is what, this is what I do. Well, I didn't ask you what you did. Who are you? A child of God? Or a fake? A child of God? A true believer in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? Or a religious practicer? A churchy man or woman? That speaks fluent Christianese. Even says brother. I love what John chapter 3 tells us. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. A ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night. And said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do. Unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? 
And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Keystone Church member, mom, dad, teenager, young adult, you must be born again. And zero amount of religious activity will pay for your sins. And zero amount of money that you drop in that offering plate will pay for your sins. Zero amount of goodwill and good deeds that you do in your community this week will pay for your sins. Those are all great things. But none of them will pay for your sins. You say, Josh, why are you harping on this so much? It's because for 19 years, I heard this heart run and heart run and heart run and heart run and heart run. And I never gave in. I never gave in. The Holy Spirit convicted and convicted and pulled and pulled. And I never gave in until I was 19. I grew up in a pastor's home. I, I basically heard the gospel for breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day. And I resisted and resisted and resisted and resisted and resisted and resisted. So why do I bring up the gospel all the time? Because I'm fully convinced that inside of churches all across this country and across this world, there are religious people who speak fluent Christianese who are on their way to hell. Because they've never truly given their heart and life and trusted in Jesus 100%. For their salvation. Only Jesus can save you and give you a new life in him where we would proudly say, James, a servant, a bond servant of Jesus. You see, in order to get the most out of this series, we must be genuinely born again. But secondly, in order to get the most out of this series, we must center our lives on the word of God. We're going to hear some things over the next few weeks that we don't want to hear. Just be real with you. There's going to be some things that James brings out in our study that we're going to be like, oh. And I'll be honest with you, I mean, try preaching it. Anybody that says they, that I always practice what I preach, they're a liar. I promise you in this study, I'm going to get up here some weeks and be like, guys, I got to be real. Y'all about to hear me, y'all about to hear Josh preach to Josh for a half hour. Because if I'm real, there's going to be some things that we study here that I'm going to be like, oh man, that's a tough one. We must honestly examine ourselves through the mirror of God's word. James chapter 1 verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. I want to be a doer who acts. And I'm only going to be that if I allow God's word 
to be a mirror into my life. You know what we do instead? We look at other people and we're like, okay, Andrew. All right, well, Andrew does this. I don't do that. Andrew does. I don't. But you know what? There's some other ways where Andrew's like better than me at this. And so like, I mean, I think we kind of balance out. I'm probably as good as Andrew. So I mean, I'm... and we can justify and justify and justify and justify. But when we hold up God's word and we look into the mirror of God's word, you know what it shows? Bro, you're 37 and you got zits on your face. Like, what's wrong with you? Come on, man. Dude, did you actually comb your hair that way? Oh, my goodness, man. You cut your, you must have like sliced your eye last night above your eye when you were sleeping. Like, you didn't even realize that, right? You, You put a mirror up and it's like, ah! Every morning for me. Well, we open up God's word and it's a mirror. And this mirror will show us some things. And we must be willing for God's word to examine us. To examine us. By the way, if you sit under preaching, let's say for two months, and you never feel like any of it was like speaking to you, there's a problem. If you can sit under like two months of preaching and be like, oh man, I hope so-and-so was listening for the last two months. There's a problem. I want God's word to examine me every week. Second thing about God's word, we must obey oh, what the word teaches us no matter the cost. We must obey. James 1.22, back to that, that verse. But be doers of the word and not hearers only. Doers of the word. Meaning we need to have a commitment and be fully committed to saying, God, if it's in your word and you tell me to do it, I will be obedient to your word. Listen, we say as a church, so this is our our final authority and our foundation upon which we are built. Well, when it tells us to do something, then if we're going to be true to that, let's be obedient. Let's be obedient to his word. It doesn't really matter what I think about it. It definitely doesn't matter how it fits in in cultural society in 2020. It definitely doesn't matter if it lines up with the beliefs of this culture around us. What matters is, does God's word say it? Does God's word say it? Then I believe it. Then I'm going to do something about it. If it means changing something radically in my life, I'm going to do something about it. Thirdly, about the word here in this second point, we must measure our spiritual growth by the word. I mentioned this a little bit ago with Andrew, but it still remains true. We must refrain ourselves from judging our own spiritual walk based upon the lives of other people that are also flawed human beings. We must guard ourselves from judging our spiritual lives based upon the lives of other flawed human beings. When we look into the perfect law of liberty, into God's holy word, we will find out who God truly is and who we truly are without him and then who we truly are with him. Did you catch that? When we look into God's word and we allow God's word to reign supreme in our lives, we will see God for who he is. We will see us for who we were without God. And then we will see us for who we are with Christ. It's an amazing thing when we look into God's word and we can see those three things.
It's all about the Word of God. It's the mirror we use to view our spiritual selves. It's the lens that we use to view the world around us. It's the bread that we need to feed our spiritual hunger. It's the water that we need to satisfy our spiritual thirst. The Word of God is sufficient. It is enough. And we must commit ourselves, if we're going to get the most out of this study, we must commit ourselves to God's Word. We must commit ourselves to say, our lives, as we study this book, will be centered around God's Word. That means we'll read it. That means we'll ask questions about it. That means we'll come to Connect Group and discuss it. That means that we'll, we'll maybe get in a Bible reading accountability group with other people. Man, the Lord, good night. This I, we're two months in, and I've been in two heavy Bible readings. The first month of the year in 30 days, we read through the entire Bible with a group of guys in 30 days. It was pretty incredible. Sometimes 45 chapters, 40 to 45 chapters a day. And then this past month, we're like, oh, we want a breather. We'll just do the New Testament in 30 days. And, and that was a lot, too. So uh, anyway, but I want my life to be centered around God's Word. I want God's word to permeate my life. But thirdly, this morning and lastly, we must be prepared for trials and for testings. If we're going to get the most out of this study, we must be prepared for trials and testings. In fact, next week, we're jumping right in at verse 2. But whenever we get serious about growing spiritually, whenever we get serious about letting God's word move and work and change us in our hearts and in our minds and our lives, be ready for opposition. And we, not long ago, we studied uh, Nehemiah. You remember Nehemiah? Nehemiah got a word that, that his city was, walls were torn down and, and God uh, ignited a fire in, in Nehemiah and he, he set, sent him back to Jerusalem from about a three-month journey. And on that journey, before he even got to Jerusalem, he experienced opposition, Sambal, Tobiah. And by the way, he kept going through that opposition, but then he got working on the wall. They were working day in, day out, till, from early morning till late in the evening. And guess what? Sambal and Tobiah and their friends showed up again. And they even had to work with one hand doing the work and another hand with a sword in their hand, ready to fight. There will always be opposition. We want to do things that are right for God and do things right as God commands us to do in Scripture. There will be oppositions. However, I believe we've learned that it's in these trials and testings and in these times of opposition that, number one, we seem to, draw, to be drawn closer to our Heavenly Father. It's during those trials that we lean on Him even more. And secondly, it's during these trials and testings and oppositions that we seem to find out that through Christ, we can endure more than we thought we could. Through Christ, we can make it through. And through Christ, what seemed to be an, an impossibility turned out to be a, a possibility. Romans chapter 5, verse 3 says, and not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. Kind of similar to counting it all joy. We glory in tribulations knowing that tribulation 
produces perseverance. This morning, if you're serious about this study, then you must be prepared for spiritual warfare. You must be prepared for opposition, for trials, and for testing. See, that's a little serious. Yeah, because I believe this book is extremely serious. I believe the book of James is a very serious book. And I believe it doesn't need to be taken lightly by believers and Christians. I believe it needs to, we need to come to this book ready with anticipation, number one, that we are truly believers of Jesus. We must. Number two, we must center ourselves around the Word of God, our lives, around the Word of God. And then we must be prepared for trials and testings. We've taken a 30,000-foot view this morning. A high-up view of the book of James. We didn't even get into anything past the first verse. I promise you we'll go faster than that. All right? I promise. But I would like to leave you with the most important statement in the book of James. More important than if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. More important than be doers of the word and not hearers only. The most important statement James is James will make in this entire book is James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I ask you, can that be said of you? Can it be said of you positionally? Has there been a time where you've repented of your sin and believed on the name of Jesus Christ and him alone for your eternal salvation? Can you say that positionally? Can you say I'm truly a believer, a servant of Jesus Christ in my position? Secondly, if you can say yes to that, practically, in your actual real life, Monday through Sunday, is that the way we live? The bond servant of God, of the Lord Jesus Christ? Yeah, I got to go to work tomorrow and I work in the medical field and I'm a, I'm a, whatever, at UNC or whatever at Duke. No, no. I'm a servant of Jesus, first of all. And whatever I do tomorrow falls underneath that. I'm a servant of Jesus. And I like the terminology that I used in the last series that temporarily performs the role of fill in the blank. This morning, are you a servant of Jesus. Positionally, have you accepted him as your savior? Practically, are you living as his servant? If you were to go on trial for being a follower of Jesus, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Thanks for listening today. If you're listening for the first time, we would love to hear from you. Maybe you have a question about the gospel of Jesus. If so, we'd like you to send us an email at hello at keystonerdu.church. If you're a regular listener to our podcast and you would like to donate to the media ministry and outreach ministry of Keystone, your gift would allow us to do more in an effective way to get the gospel out. Thank you for partnering with us in ministry in Durham and all around the world. Visit keystonerdu.church to get involved.